If you have a Bible, would you please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know we've prayed 150 times this morning, but let me pray one more time before we get into this. Is that cool? Yes. All right. God, thank you for the church, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you that this church is not about, um, well, I pray that we would not be about sermons and songs, Lord. We want to be way more than that, Lord. Everything that went on so far at our gathering, from standing collectively and saying, we will be people of generosity, not people of greed. Who are we? We, we said we're witness to, pe- to parents saying that we, they want to raise their child um, in the Christian faith and we want to help. To saying thank you for installing ministers to minister to us and lead us. All of this stuff is your church, Lord. And now as we open the scriptures and we just, we, we glean from them, we ask this morning that you would teach us. Um, I submit all of my mind, heart, soul, I just submit it all to you, Lord. I, I ask God that you would use this like very, very weak vessel to somehow encourage and build up and exhort um, and correct the church um, today. We look to you, Lord. Um, lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the last, the very last Sunday of a series that we are calling The Story of God. And this is what, this is what the story of God looked like. This is the sixth week. And this is what, um, um, this is what, this, these are the, we kind of broke it up in six different acts, the story of God, the, basically the story of the Bible. And um, act one was creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church, and new creation. Now this is really important because um, I hope, the things I say today is, is predicated on the fact that you know this story. So you've been here during this time. Um, if, you, if not, let me give you like a two-minute overview of what this means. Um, what we're saying is in Act 1 that God created everything good. That if you think at all that the world is good, you could thank the Bible for that belief. Because that wasn't always the, the belief, especially when the Bible was written. The ancient Near Eastern belief was not that the world was inherently good. God created the world good. And it didn't say perfect, it said good. Perfect, biblically, means the word complete. And, the, and God didn't create the world complete, he created it good. There was a lot still to be done, it wasn't complete. He gave humanity uh, um, uh, charge to rule and to care and to spread the good in the garden out over the whole world. He said, I want you to subdue the earth and rule over it as my image bears. And that rule, don't think of it as like, um, we get to kill animals and destroy the planet. Um, that you care for the world, you care for it. Um, the, in God's economy, uh, ruling over something isn't crushing their will. That's not God's economy. So to rule over it in good. And then act two is the fall, is that we didn't trust God for good. That theme of good keeps repeating itself over and over in chapter one and two in the book of Genesis. And then in chapter three, it says that Adam and Eve saw for themselves that the tree that they were not supposed to eat from was good. And so they took it themselves and they ate. And now there, where there was integration, um, the Bible, the Hebrew word is shalom. There was shalom in chapter one and two of the Bible. That means everything was integrated. I was integrated with myself, like my body didn't turn against itself for things like cancer or sickness. I was integrated with humanity, with, uh, with other people. I was integrated. We were integrated with the planet. We were integrated with animals. And most importantly, we were integrated with God. Everything was in harmony. And in chapter three of Genesis, there was disintegration. And everything started to unravel. And then right in chapter four, five, and six, you have murder. And then all the way to chapter 11, it keeps spiraling down, 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 and down. And then God 
is set after to save the world. And what God does is he flips the script. He tries to save the world through all of humanity, but then all of humanity rebels against him and tries to build this huge tower of Babel up to him saying that basically what they were, it was a big middle finger to God. If you've watched the story of, of God videos, if you're watching the Bible Project videos, they call it a big F you to God. And so God says, I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna call one family, and through this one family, I'm gonna save the world. So God calls an Abra- this guy named Abraham. And he was a pagan. He worshiped some form of the sky. We don't, we don't really know. He could have been a moon worshiper, a star worshiper, whatever. But God called him. And God said, I'm going to vow myself to you. I'm going to promise myself to you. I'm going to covenant myself with you. And I'm going to save the world through you. And Abraham says, okay, let's do this. And God promised Abraham a few things. He said, I'll be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a nation. And then when I do these things, I'm going to, I'm going to save the world through that. And so basically the whole rest of the Old Testament is God doing the promise, trying to do the promise with Abraham's family. He tries to make him a nation, and they do. Genesis, God makes them a nation. But in Exodus, this nation's in captivity in Egypt, and God hasn't given them land yet. So the Exodus story is God taking them out of Egypt and bringing them into land. And so finally God gives them a land, and he also gives them his presence because God's tabernacling among them. And the whole story is a repeat of God saying, I've given you, I made you a nation, I've given you land, and I've, I'm living among you. Now be a people of blessing, and they don't. They're unfaithful. There's some righteous, but mostly they're unfaithful over and over and over again. That's the story of the Old Testament, Israel. But then Jesus. Jesus steps into the vocation of Israel. Um, he steps into the Jordan River we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, he, he steps into Israel's vocation. And then what Jesus does is he actually goes after the serpent in chapter 3 of Genesis. He goes after the devil. He goes after the thing that set this whole thing in haywire. And through the whole process of Israel, Moses even, you read this in Deuteronomy, Moses said there's something wrong with their hearts. You want to obey God, but your hearts are messed up. You need to circumcise your heart. Later on, that would be developed by the prophets to be like, you need a new heart. You need a new covenant with God, that, that, that means that God gives you a new heart. Your heart of stone needs to be turned to a heart of flesh. So Jesus comes, he gives us a new heart under the new covenant, and he destroys the works of the devil. Yay, that's awesome. And then he empowers the church. We learned this last week. And he says, now, take this story on and be the church in the world. Spread the good news that Jesus has, has come and Jesus has given us new hearts and he's called us back to our vocation as image bearers of God, to being true humans under the righteous rule of God. And so the church is like this little outbreak of the kingdom of God. So wherever the church is, there should be almost like a reverse of the curse that everything that's gone on. So there should be peace, there should be righteousness and holiness and love and justice. There should be all these things happening in the church, and the church is supposed to take this and spread it out all over the world. And then it ends with new creation. So We did a series on this like last fall, so I won't repeat most of this, but the Bible at the end of the story has this great symmetry and has progression. It starts with a garden and it ends with a garden city. It starts with a tree of life, but then it ends with like two trees of life or many trees of life, at least two. It starts with God's presence walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and it ends with God living, tabernacling with man and women. Um, humanity is called to, to rule in Genesis 1, but at the end it says that, that humanity is reigning or ruling forever and ever. There's a marriage in the very beginning of the Bible of Adam and Eve, and there's a marriage of Christ and the church and heaven and earth at the end of the Bible. There's like beautiful symmetry and beautiful progression. So that is the story of God. 
Okay, so you, you heard that story. That's what you've heard over the last six weeks. And the question that I want to ask today in this story is how do we stay in the story? How do we live in this story? How do we live according to the story? And to, to explain what I mean by this, I, I, let me share with you an illustration. Imagine we just recovered a lost Shakespeare play, okay? Let's just say, I don't know how we just did. We were digging around Golden Gate Park. Somehow it got over here. <laughs> and we found it, and it's, it's authentic. It's one of Shakespeare's, one of his five-act plays. Just, um, we had, and when we uncovered this, we had, act, we had act one, two, three, and five. We didn't have act four. And we looked for it. We scoured the world. We went on like a treasure hunt, and no one could find it. But we only had four of the five acts. And as we're reading this play, we know how the story starts. We know how the story builds. We know how the story climaxes and how it resolves. But we don't have that very important act four to show us the consequences of how act three play out. We, we don't how, see how the tension of, of act three gets played out in act four and gets heightened by the hopes and the fears caused by what happened in act three. And let's say that because of this, we have all this stuff, but because we have, don't have Act 4, but we still wanted to stage this play. We wanted to do it here in San Francisco. We were like, we, we still, we found it, it's ours, we want to stage this play. But we only have four of the five acts. Now, a couple of things we could do at this moment. We could write Act 4. We can go, well, let's just write the fourth act ourselves. But that might feel a little inappropriate since Shakespeare himself didn't write it. It, wouldn't, it, would, it would commit Shakespeare to things that he never said or wrote, so I don't know if that would be really. We have all the Shakespeare-like scholars getting at, angry at us. We don't want that. Uh, probably a better thing to do would be this. It might be better if we gave this play and the key parts of this play to highly trained, sensitive, and experienced Shakespearean actors who would immerse themselves in the first three acts and the fifth act, immerse themselves in the language and the culture of Shakespeare and the time of the play, and then they would be tasked to work out the fourth act for themselves. Because they knew how it, it, it started, it built, it climaxed, and then how it ended, they were tasked to improvise the fourth act themselves. And let's consider, let's just imagine for a moment, they, we did this. We actually did this thing. What would happen? What if we did this? Well, what happened is these, the first three acts of the play and the final act would undoubtedly be the authority for how the actors were supposed to live into the play. They couldn't change the story. We would all know the story because we would have read it. Everyone would know the story. So they couldn't betray the, the, the storyline and they couldn't betray the characters in the story. They had to live into the story. And what, this would also, what we'd also see is that the story itself would lend accountability and transparency to how the actors um, would act, and anyone could object at any moment to an improvisation that was out of character, if they were behaving inconsistently with the story arc of the play, because they knew how the play ends. We could all say, you can't do that because that's not how we, that's not the story that we inherited, that's not the story that we found, and that's not where the story is going. And what would be required of these actors is to enter into the story as it stood, and then try to move on to its written conclusion. And what, what would be required of these actors would be imagination and innovation and consistency. Okay, so I, I think you know where I'm going with this story. I hope you do. 
This is what we have with the story of God. We know how the story starts. Can you put the five-act thing up, a six-act thing up again? We know where the story starts. We know how the story builds with Israel to learn who God is and what God is trying to do in the world through them. We know how the story climaxes in Christ being the suffering servant who takes away the sin of the world and goes after to destroy the works of Satan. We know the first bit about the church that is called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the people of God for the world. We have that first bit. And then we know how it ends. We know the revelation. We know how the story ends. It ends almost like a renewed story of the beginning. What we're missing in the story of the Bible is this very large bit from the early church to new creation. We're missing this very large bit right now. We know how the church started. But what we're missing out on are the consequences of how the church, empowered by the crucified and risen Jesus, how this story plays out. In the biblical story, the reason why we're missing it is because that part of the story is us. We are, to use the five-act model, we are the fourth act of God's great story, and the church has been this for centuries. And what we are tasked to do, if you are a part of the church, and after last week, you came up for prayer or on the carpet or something and asked, how do I live into the story? How do I have more from God? Here, here is, this is what we're tasked to do. We are tasked to continue to live in this story well. What you and I are tasked to do as followers of Jesus is we are tasked to live into the story to take up our part in the story, to move it along from where we inherited it and do the best we can to move it towards its resolution. And we have to stay in the story. This is our story. We can't change it. So it looks, so it looks like nothing that we, we have in the original. We, what we can't do is this. We can't take the story of Scripture and change it so much that it doesn't even look like this anymore. We can't have a version of Christianity or a version of the church that looks nothing like the Bible. What we have to do is live into the story and carry it on and go, we know how it ends and we know what God's gonna do when he brings the restoration of all things. We know what that looks like. Let's move it towards that. That is our task. That is what the Holy Spirit desires to do. This is, this is the irony of Jesus at the end of um, the story of Matthew, where after the resurrection, he gathers the group of disciples together, and he says, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. I just crushed the serpent's head. I just rose from the dead. I've justified the sinner. I've made, us right, I've made humanity right before God to live into their vocation, to live into what God's called them to be, what God's called us to do. I've done it all. I have all authority because I've done it. And now you go. That's an ironic statement. I have all the power. Go. And now he wasn't saying, I have all the power to tell you what to do. I mean, that's kind of implied there, but that's what he's saying is this. I have all the power and you are going to be agents of this power. I have all the authority and you're going to be agents of this authority. Go and tell the world. And this is, this is, this is ours to take up. We have to stay in this story. We have to stay in this story. I know everyone of you, most of you, not probably not all of you, but I would, well, nah, all of you, all of you. <laughs> all of you want to live your very own cool, adventurous, world-changing story. That's what you all want. I want to live my story. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
this is your story, this. This is the one you inherited. This is the one that you're to live into. This is your story. And you have to stay in the story. I would argue that what we are all really looking for, even, even though most of us in here are looking for our own very cool, adventurous, world-changing story, I would argue that most all of us, what we're looking for when we're looking to be a part of some world-changing story is that we are really looking for is the bigger, truer story that which we can give ourselves over to. That's what we all really, really, really want. Even if, you're, if you don't want to admit it. Like, no, I still want to live my story. No, we want the true, bigger story that we can lose ourselves into it's, um, I, I think I've shared this with you before. Fleet Foxes has this song called Helpless, Helplessness Blues. And in this song, they say, um, I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, a snowflake distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. That's basically how all you were raised. Your mom and dad's like, you are unique. There is no one like you. And now after some thinking, I think I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. I've done the me thing, and it's so empty. I've tried to live my big, awesome, adventurous story, and it, st- it ends up with me alone on social media, and it's just not, <laughs> it just doesn't ever go over well. I can't, I can't keep giving myself that high over and over. I, I, I'd rather just serve something beyond me, and that something is the story of God. It's God and his story, and I know that this can be disorienting, this is, sometimes when we first hear this, this is so disorienting for us. When we're like, I just want to be a part of, a, like, I want to live my story. And like, no, your, your story ends, it doesn't end well. But when you're part of God's story and what God's doing in the world, that does. And hearing that can be disorienting. Um, I just recently watched this, the, uh, um, that movie called The Room with um, Brie Larson won the Oscar for it. Oh my gosh. I just can't stop thinking about this movie. No, I just, I just recently watched it. But it's, it, I, I, I don't recommend this movie because it's not for the faint of heart. But she did win an Oscar for it, and it is a great movie. But the, 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 I, won't, I obviously won't give the movie away because that would be horrible. But um, the premise of the movie, it's you, on the trailer, you probably know this, common knowledge. Um, she, uh, the, it's, 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 it takes place in a room where um, a, a teenager has been kidnapped and lives there for seven years, and in the process she has a, a son. And the son just knows the room. And when he turns five years old, and he only knows this room that's like maybe, maybe eight feet by eight feet or something like that, 10 feet by 10 feet, it's a shed. And this is all he knows his whole life. And his mom has a great imagination to teach him all this stuff. But she doesn't tell him about the world. She says, outside they have a little skylight, outside there is space. That's it, just us in space. And that's what he, until he turns five, and his mom tells him about the world. Outside these walls are this, and this is this, and this is the world. And he has a panic attack. And he starts screaming in his mom's face. And he says, I hate this story. I want a new story. I hate this story. I want a new story. And she says, you can't have another story this is the true story. And this, that, that very traumatic moment, as I think what happens sometimes when we hear the true story of God. Like, that can't be the true story. I don't like this story. I hate this story. You're reading through the Bible. I hate this story. I hate this story is my story. I hate this story. I want a new story. And God would say to us, you can't have another story. This is the true story. 
This is the true story. This is the true story of humanity. This is the true story of what's gone wrong with the world. This is the true story of you thinking that you can save the world yourself or you can save yourself yourself, and you cannot. And people have been trying to do it forever and ever and ever and ever, and it does not work. This is the true story. But I can, I can choose to accept this story as a true story because it is, or I can st- and I can stay in this story even no matter how hard it is to stay in the story of the Bible, or I can just, I can give, I can say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't want this story. I want to, I want to be, I want to be detached from the real story. I want to live my little, my little consumeristic story. That's a way funner story. I want to live my little pleasure story. That's funner. I want to live my little entertainment story. I want to live my little adventure story. I want to live my little, I have a plan for my own life story. You could do that and you can be disengaged from the real world. You can be disengaged through things like sex and drugs and whatever else you do for pleasure to, to, to totally disconnect from the real world. You can do that. And you can do that as a follower of Jesus. You can say, I follow Christ, but be disconnected to the story of God and be disconnected to what God is doing. You could do that, but it will ruin you. And it keeps going, oh, it keeps spinning, cycling down and down. This is the story of humanity. But there's another way. And the other way is staying in this story. And when you stay in the story of God, the one that we've been talking about for five, five and a half, six weeks, this is where all the tension will be. It is not easy to live into the story of God. It is not easy at all. There will be all this discomfort between living according to the Christian faith, according to the story of God, and not changing the story. There will be all this tension and all this discomfort between living into the story of God and in the current, living in the current cultural moment that we find ourselves in. It will be harder and harder, and it is hard, to live as a follower of Jesus into the true story of God and to live in San Francisco in this, this, this 2016. It's, it's really, really hard to do. And if you, if you found it to be hard, then, then it's working. If you think it's easy, then you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> See, all we have to do to release the tension and release the discomfort and make it all go away and life to ease up is, is we just... We just change the story. That's, that's all you have to do. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't like the way that my faith and the story of God grates against my modern sensibilities. I don't like that. Well, then change the story, and then you'll be, you'll be fine. And you can tweak your story and your view on sexuality to more be more embracing of today's mood, and then it'll, it'll, it'll release. Like, oh, I don't, I don't, that tension's gone now. I feel, I feel good now. We can tweak our view on Jesus and become more universalist, and that will go away. And when we do that, most of the tension from culture goes away, and we can walk into almost any place in our city and be accepted. But the, the weird thing about the church is the church has always been this, like, um, the church has always been this peculiar people. Peculiar, like, you're just, you're kind of weird. Um, not in a Jesus-y, like, like, um, Jesus culture way, like uh, I wear a Jesus t-shirt and have Jesus shoes. They're like holy sandals or something. And I do, I do, I listen to Christian rock. Like it's not that cultural American sort of Christianity thing, but it's peculiar in the sense that you hold these two, you hold what the world loves and wants and what the world doesn't want in tension. Like you hold a high value for like justice in our city, but so does our city but you also have a high value for holiness and sexual purity. And they're like, why would you do that? 
and, you, and they'll think you're weird because you'll serve alongside them downtown in the Tenderloin or wherever, and, 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 and you, some of you guys will actually go and protest and picket for justice. But then you'll, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be oriented where you, you don't get drunk. They're like, what, wait, what? I don't, I can't, I don't understand you. You're, you'll be peculiar. And there'll always be this, this, this tension. And the tension can go away. All you have to do is change the story. I don't, but my argument is you can't change the story. We have to stay in this story. This is the story that we've inherited This is the story of God that we are called to live into. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how hard it is to stay in the story and live in San Francisco as a mom, as a freelancer, as a single person, as a missionary, as someone who lives in this, in like the crazy service industry of of being in a restaurant, like whatever you do or whoever you are, it is very, it is hard to live into the story and live in the city, but we must. We must stay in the story of forgiveness. That's hard to do. That's our story. Like we serve our, our, the founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, was wrong and gave his life. And when he was giving his life, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Like, we have to stay in the story of forgiveness, even of those who have wronged us, and even of those who have wronged us, and we think they know what they were doing. We have to forgive them. We have to stay in that story no matter how hard it is. We have to stay in the story of witness to those who need to be reconciled to God through Christ. We have to stay in the story of being a light and a witness and salt in the city. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to stay in the story where we're proclaiming Christ. Like, yes, I'm a Christian, and Christ is calling. He's reconciling heaven and earth. He's reconciling San Francisco, and I'm a part of that. Like, we have to witness to that. We have to stay in the story of faith and obedience. We have to be people that are, that are, that are marked by faith. Like, I trust in, in, in God, and I do what God says to do, whether I read it in black and white in, a, in an ancient book, or I discern it through prayer. Like, I'm going to be faithful to follow Jesus. We have to stay in the story of holiness. This one's hard. Like, we inherited a story where God is, is trying to set apart a people to reconcile the world. And over and over again, these people don't live like that. They live like the world lives. They live like the Canaanites live, or they live like the Egyptians live, or they live like the Babylonians live. And God is saying, come out, come out. That's like the whole point of the book of Revelation. Come out of her. Come out of that that whoring world. Come out. Be different. Be separate. We have to live into the story and stay into the story of holiness. We have to stay into the story of service. That Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be the servant. So if you think that climbing the ladder of success means more people serve you in this town, don't. Just like, no, if I'm, if I'm promoted, I'm, gonna st- I'm going down in service. I'm, I'm continually going to go down the ladder in service, not up the ladder. I will serve. And the greatest among us, we have to live into that story, even though it's hard. We have to stay in the story of grace. Because doing all this stuff, we will keep failing. Over and over and over again, we'll keep failing because... Guys, we're, we're flesh, we're weak. And so we have to confess the gap between where we know God has called us to live and as the people of God for the world and how we're living. We have to confess that gap. We have to stay in the story of love. And not love as in a, a, like a goofy, weird emotion, but love is an action. Love is truth. And we have to stay in that story. I mean, I can, I can go on. I'm, I'm gonna stop. Like, we could, I keep going. No, I, 
We have, to stay in the sto- we have to stay in the story of all of these things. This is our story. I want to, I wanna, um, you know, I just read over the neighborhood ministers, like, and give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. I love that Paul said that. And um, sometimes I feel like I don't do that enough. So I'm just going to publicly read the Scripture. I'm not going to exposit it. I'm just going to read it to you um, as people who... Uh, that are living into the story. It's out of 2 Corinthians. I told you to turn there. It's in verse 14, chapter five. Let me read this to you as we, as we close. It says in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to close by praying for us. And I'm going to ask Pastor Dave Daly to come out and lead us into a time of response. God, I thank you that you are, as we just read this, this is who you are. You are reconciling the world to yourself. That's what you're doing. That's what you've been doing in this city, in San Francisco, long before we ever planted this church. Long before the 60s ever happened in this town, you were reconciling San Francisco to yourself and that you still are right now. And I pray for this church that we would take up our vocation as being ambassadors of that, um, people who make their, make, that you make their plea through, be reconciled to God. I pray that through the lives of um, members of this church, that you would make the plea to the city, be reconciled to God. And that you do that through the way they live, through the way they act and talk and spend money and, and what they do on the weekends and what they do after work and how they wake up, like everything. That through them, you would make your plea to the world through them. Be reconciled to God. And I want to pray for anyone who's not reconciled to you. That they they might have just been tuned out that whole time into that last verse and something moved um, in their mind or their heart, uh, wherever and they're, they're drawn to you, Lord. They're drawn to be reconciled to you. And when just even that, that last verse that you, you, God, you made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us, that, that in Christ that we might become the righteousness of God. I pray that if anyone in here has not placed their faith in you today, they would place their faith in you. And because they're in Christ, they would become the righteousness of God. Move us into a time of responding to this, Lord.